Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, hospitality in Minnesota and economic recovery as COVID restrictions go away, the need for blood donations during the summer months, and Gopher Athletic Director Mark Coyle on the university's Week of Giving campaign. But first... As in a number of previous budget years at the Minnesota Legislature, the question again in 2021 is, will state government shut down beginning July 1st? MNN's Bill Werner explores that further in the context of this week's ongoing budget talks taking place behind closed doors. Scott, one continuing raw spot in state budget negotiations is the peacetime state of emergency declaration. And Republican lawmakers this week indicated Governor Tim Walz spurned them when they proposed an off-ramp to end his COVID emergency powers. Senator Jeff Howe from Rockville. I've never been treated in a, such a condescending manner. Basically, uh, anything we said was not worth his consideration. Republicans propose the state human services and health departments decide if a public health emergency for COVID would continue. They would then maintain certain federal benefits. But Walls could only use his emergency powers during the COVID pandemic for distribution of vaccines and testing supplies. A spokesman said the governor is committed to finding bipartisan solutions, but that Republicans' proposal would slow down vaccinations, jeopardize hundreds of millions of dollars in hunger relief, and end the eviction moratorium overnight. As lawmakers continued closed-door negotiations this week, with under two weeks to an expected special session, in addition to differences over spending in the various state budget areas, there's a deep divide between Republicans and Democrats, not only over the governor's COVID emergency powers, but also other what are termed policy issues, such as the COVID unemployment insurance bonus, proposed targets to encourage more electric vehicles, voter photo ID at the polls, and, of course, police reform. The governor says about that. I do believe that Democrats and Republicans, House and Senate, do understand that we need to have reforms in policing, and it's not a simple, you're for the police, you're against the police. It's more that these are operational things that can make it better. So I'm not setting this thing up as an an either-or. Senate Majority Leader Gazelka has repeatedly said policy matters that can't be agreed upon will have to be thrown overboard. Each side has some things that are really important to them. Uh, We're going to fight. Both sides are fighting for those things. But now we're into special session, so sooner or later you have to figure out how you're going to get done. If the governor and lawmakers have not approved a new budget by June 30th, the end of the state's fiscal year, state government would begin to shut down. I do believe that we will get done by the before the shutdown would occur. Uh, we, we will do our part, uh, the Senate GOP. Governor Walls says... Hopeful that we can get something. Um, we've challenged each other in, in these negotiations. They do get a little tense at times. But much like last year, I leave those conversations and step back and say, well, that's a good point. That is a good point. Can we go back and do this? That type of stuff is happening. Let's get some analysis on this situation from an astute observer, Hamlin University legal and political expert, Professor David Schultz. Do you think that they're going to push it right to the brink of government shutdown and then fundamentally resolve it? My sense, looking at what's happened for the last few years and how divided the legislature is this year, is that it's going to get very close to the July 1st deadline. Now, whether or not we go into a an actual government shutdown or partial one, I don't know. But already the damage has been done. Um, the governor and 
Department of Administrative Services have already sent out furlough notices to over 37,000 employees. The government is already um, expending a lot of resources preparing to wind down in the event that there is a shutdown. So at this point, damage has, al- has already been inflicted in terms of what it's going to cost taxpayers and the public. The question really is, are they going to get it done very close to June 14th or how close of almost a game of what chicken they're going to be playing um, getting us up to July 1st. Do you think ultimately they, they take it into government shutdown other than stumbling into it? You know what I mean by, oh, we took it too close to the brink and we couldn't process it all, all the paperwork and pass all the bills fast enough. But do you think that they that they deliberately uh, uh, let it go over into shutdown to try to get some negotiating leverage or do they pull back short of that if at all possible? It seems like in the last few years, the sting of a government shutdown is gone. There isn't this fear anymore by the parties of, of, of the government actually shuts down or gets close to shutdown. So that's one issue. The second issue is that the shutdown, especially getting very close to July 1st, going into the 4th of July weekend, becomes a leverage point uh, for, for getting what people want. And here I actually think that the Republicans are in a, a better position than the Democrats are. The Democrats, uh, especially with it being a Democratic administration, want to keep the government open. Um, the Democrats you know, want certain things in terms of funding, in terms of police reform legislation. The Republicans want far less at this point. So the threat of a shutdown or even a shutdown, um, I think, actually works to their advantage in terms of trying to leverage concessions out of, out of the democratically controlled House and Governor Tim Waltz. Now, one of the things that the majority leader of the Senate, the Republican majority leader, Paul Gazelka, has warned about is that this is not going to be a soft shutdown if we go there. He says the courts have indicated that they're, they really eschew getting involved in this uh, and that the, during the last shutdown that they indicated that, no, they're, they're not going to stick their noses in it. From your standpoint, as, a, as a, a legal expert, is that a legitimate assertion on the part of the Senate Majority Leader Gazelka? Not necessarily, because even though there's a lot of criticism that the courts did get involved during the last government shutdown, there are still some essential governmental functions that just can't stop at this point. For example, I don't think nursing homes are going to close uh, and throw grandma out on the street. Um, If you have a government shutdown, you can't stop feeding the animals at the zoo. You can't also open the prison doors and say to all the prisoners, you get to go home um, because there's no guards. And so even if the courts are reluctant to, uh, to get involved, I think what they're going to do is still say that there are some things that just can't close. Now, it's possible that the courts might say, listen, um, that's your call at this point, folks. Um, If you want to um, starve animals, set the prisoners free and have grandma get kicked out of the nursing home, it's on you. We're not going to get involved. It'll be a question to see if the courts are going to be willing to also play this game. That's Hamlin University's David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. 
Throughout the state, Minnesota Electric Co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Hospitality businesses in Minnesota are celebrating now that COVID restrictions have finally gone away and people are eager to get back out and reconnect. But as I found out from Hospitality Minnesota's Ben Wogsland, these businesses have a long way to go before they'll consider things back to normal. It's important for the economic recovery for these folks to start being able to bring in some real revenue uh, to those businesses because uh, you know, the projections are that this industry lost about $11 billion in sales uh, last year and during the pandemic uh, because, you know, while they were sh- and, and while they were shut down uh, or significantly limited over the last year, their bills kept piling up. You know, they kept coming for rent and mortgage and utilities and insurance and vendor payment. So uh, because of that, these businesses, restaurants and food service businesses and overnight accommodations and hotels, many of them uh, have significant debt that they've, t- they've taken on. And it's not a certainty that they're going to make it. Um, and so uh, I, I, we want the public to understand and for policymakers to understand this is a multi- multi-year recovery for this industry that we're looking at. Um, and it's not just going to bounce back quickly just because these businesses are open or even because they're seeing a lot of traffic over the summer, which we certainly expect and hope to be the case. Um, it's not going to rubber band back. And part of the deal is that debt that I was talking about and the significant debt that's piled up for them. But also, you know, these are thin margin businesses, even in normal times. You know, a typical restaurant can be a 2 to 5% margin only when you compare it to like a, a normal business, a small business of maybe like a 10% margin. So uh, it's going to be challenging. And the state has a responsibility uh, to help these folks recover and help get this industry back in place. And really, it's in everybody's best interest for this industry to succeed. It's a huge part of our Minnesota economy. In normal times, it supports one in 10 jobs uh, and obviously is, is critical to a lot of economic activity in our communities. So um, that, that is you know, why we need the state to step up and help support this recovery. Uh, the need is clear. Uh, and where we are right here today is we're very concerned about the lack of targeted relief for hospitality in the budget conversations and the deal that's been announced. Uh, we know that over half of hospitality operators uh, are, are tell us they're in jeopardy of collapse in the next six to 12 months even now, uh, despite being able to get back to 100% capacity. So uh, we think that given the $2.8 billion coming in from the feds, Uh, Given the budget surplus that the state has and the money in reserves, uh, we think that it's important for the state to make a serious targeted investment in helping these folks uh, uh, get back uh, uh, and, and be able to survive and be able to recover quicker. 
It doesn't seem like state legislators, based on the calendar for what they're doing to get ready for a June special session, it doesn't seem like they're in any hurry to begin negotiations. So how uh, optimistic are you that this would be a part of any negotiations for a budget when they seem to be dragging their heels? We're very concerned about the lack of mention uh, of hospitality and of restaurants and of hotels in the in the public conversations that we're hearing. And um, you know, as others have pointed out, there's some concerns about the lack of transparency in the process right now. Uh, you know, we'd like to see that be a little bit more public. But you know, from our perspective, we think it's uh, absolutely critical that hospitality businesses, uh, small businesses that were forced to close repeatedly last year. Uh, be given given some assistance and given some help to be able to get back. So um, we, we've got to change that conversation, and we've got to make sure that that's a part of this uh, the, these solutions going forward at the state level. Um, you know, as you said, you know, we don't. There, there's still a lot of negotiations left to to be done here. But over the last you know uh, couple of months after the American Rescue Plan came out, we've made a variety of suggestions. Uh, to the governor and state legislators about ways to targeted to target that money to help these the businesses that truly need it. And again, uh, you know, this is an industry that lost a projected eleven billion dollars in sales last year uh, due to closures and COVID uh, re- related uh, issues. So the need is clear. Uh, Minnesota received is receiving about two point eight billion over the next uh, year and a half, two years from the feds. And one of the specific purposes for that in the federal law, Scott, is is to help small businesses that were impacted by COVID. And clearly, not all of that money is, you know, we're not advocating that all that money needs to go to that. But we think a significant piece of it, investment should be going to hospitality uh, and, and, and small businesses like restaurants and uh, events and uh, overnight accommodations uh, to help them recover. And if we don't do that, our fear is that this is going to be a much slower longer recovery uh, for this industry than it might not, than, than, than it needs to be. We already know that, you know, based on the data uh, for overnight accommodations and, and occupancy rates, Minnesota continues to trail the national average by double digits. And, you know, that's a significant problem. We're hoping that that will change over the summer, but we need to do everything that we can. And it's all hands on deck to be able to get this industry uh, back on its feet and be able to put people back to work. Uh, one, one other stat that I'll leave you with is, you know, right now, uh, the hospitality industry, which normally employs, you know, nearly 300,000, uh, people, uh, in a normal economy right now is still down 80,000 workers, 80,000 jobs. So that's another indicator, uh, I think that, uh, this is an industry that needs assistance and needs help, targeted relief to be able to, uh, to get back into an economically healthy place as quickly as possible. Thank you to my guest, Hospitality Minnesota's Ben Wogsland. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Blood donations tend to drop over the summer months, and the American Red Cross of Minnesota is encouraging you to give the gift of life. Tasha Radel has more. Getting people to donate blood is a challenge in the summer months, and the American Red Cross is urging Minnesotans to rise to that challenge. Joining me today is Sue Thasinga with the American Red Cross of Minnesota. Sue, I know this past year has been trying for many across the state, and including you folks there at the Red Cross. Throughout the pandemic, were you able to keep the blood supply stable in the state? 
Well, first I'd like to say we are so grateful to the donors who stepped up in the past year. Um, people really helped us maintain a stable blood supply through the pandemic, and they continue to do so. Um, people who receive a vaccine are still eligible to give blood. So this is an important message to get out. In most cases, um, there is no blood donation deferral time after receiving a COVID-19 vaccine. Um, but we we do request that donors know the name of the vaccine manufacturer to determine their blood donation elig eligibility. Now that thousands and thousands of Minnesotans have been vaccinated, are you seeing an increase in blood donations around Minnesota? Well, I think we still see people coming out to donate blood because it's essential. It's essential to the health of our communities, and people realize that. They, they are looking for ways to help. And they know that rolling up a sleeve and donating blood is a very easy way for them to do that. What the Red Cross is more concerned about is going into the summer months. It's always a challenging time for us to collect blood because people are busy, especially in Minnesota. We have so many few months that people uh, really enjoy the outdoors. Um, you know, people are busy, especially this year with things reopening up. People are planning vacations and getting together with families, etc. So we're really concerned that people now will forget about donating blood. So we're, it's kind of like we want to remind people that the need is constant and uh, we really do people need people to continue to make those appointments and come in and donate. Sue, I didn't realize blood donors can track where their donation goes and which hospital is using the blood to help someone in need. That is just so cool. Yes, absolutely. And not only that, uh, which is really insightful for people, I think, but they we are still testing blood donations for the COVID-19 antibody. So you can also track your results uh, for that on the app. It's a great way to manage your uh, donation appointments. You can schedule right on your phone. There's a reminder, your blood donor card uh, is in within the app, and you can also do the rapid pass right from that as well. So it's really a neat little tool that will help you manage your donations. Again, blood donations tend to drop over the summer months, so if you can schedule a blood donation and roll up a sleeve sooner rather than later, schedule an appointment today. What's the best way for Minnesotans to schedule an appointment? Yes, we've made it really easy for people to do that. They can download our free Red Cross blood donor app right on their mobile phone. They can visit redcrossblood.org or they can call 1-800-RED-CROSS. Three easy ways to make a blood donation appointment. Sue, we're about out of time. Uh, anything you wanted to leave us with today? No, I, I just think that uh, now is the time that we still have to all come together as people are receiving the vaccine and people are gearing up for the summer. We really encourage eligible donors to give blood and make it a summer full of life for patients in need. And Scott, before I turn it back over to you, here's something to think about. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs blood. And to put it more into perspective, a single car accident victim may need up to 100 units of blood. Sometimes I think we all forget that. Again, to find a blood drive nearest you, go online to redcrossblood.org or call 1-800-RED-CROSS. Thanks again to my guest, Sue Thysinga, with the American Red Cross of Minnesota. Back to you, Scott. 
Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Who might you save? Your mother, your father, your husband, uncle, and son. Learn fast. F-A-S-T. The sudden signs of a stroke, and you could save. Your friend, your best friend, teacher, boss, coach. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. F-A-S-T. Face, arm, speech, time. That's F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. The sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in the recovery of... Your neighbor, the waiter, a fellow shopper, a total stranger, grandmother, grandfather. So learn FAST, the sudden signs of a stroke, then pass it on, because you never know who might save you. Your wife, your colleague, teammate, mother... Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The U of M Athletic Department experienced a significant revenue shortfall over the past year due to the pandemic. Next week will be a big week in trying to help recover as Golden Gopher Athletics is asking supporters to take part in the Week of Giving. It's a fundraising campaign aimed at raising money to help fund the more than 300 athletic scholarships for which the department pays. MN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down with Gopher Athletic Director Mark Coyle to talk about why it's important for longtime donors to step up as well as for new donors to come forward. Coyle says not only have revenues fallen, but the student-athletes went through a lot during the past year. Yeah, you know, Mike, there's no doubt this year has been like any other year we've had. Obviously, you know, our kids have gone through first off distance learning. You know, we all had to, you know, for those who have kids in school, they had to do this distant learning process. Our kids had to do the same thing. Second, they went through almost daily testing of the antigen test and going through that process. You know, we had to go through contact tracing and quarantine where they're being isolated from their teammates, their families, et cetera, which is different for them. And probably the biggest difference was no fans. You know, I've told you and I tell our fans all the time, we miss seeing you in our buildings. We can't wait to see you back at our stadiums and our venues this upcoming year because, again, we miss seeing them. And, again, they had to compete without any fans this year, which was very strange. What was the testing like? I mean, you think about these student-athletes with all of they have on their plate, and every morning at whatever it is, 8 o'clock, they have to come in and get a swab. You know, for the early part of it, it was a swab up the nose and all this stuff. I mean, what what uh, do you think that was like for them trying to navigate through that? You know, again, Mike, I can't say enough about them because they all made tremendous sacrifices this year. And, you know, some of our Tier 1 sports were tested daily. Other sports were tested every other day. And, you know, I joke, I still have a callus on the inside of my right nose from the number of tests I've gone through. And our right. student-athletes went through a lot more tests than I did. But, again, they've handled everything the right way. And we're just really grateful that we got a lot of our sports in this year and look forward to a new bright future. Yeah, because there was a time where we weren't sure whether uh, sports and competition would happen. So the good news is it did and there was success. Now, in terms of off the competition field and on paper, so to speak, what was the impact that COVID-19 had on, let's say, finances? Fiscal years just now wrapping up for the Gopher Athletic Department. And from a year ago at this time, uh, let's say 14 months ago, you were you know, obviously feeling really good. And then the COVID hit. Uh, where are we now that things have maybe calmed a little bit and you can have a, a better picture? Yeah, you know, well, well, obviously, you know, we've worked incredibly hard uh, with our budget office, with campus and, and with our own staff and employees to make sure we manage our budget the right way. But basically all of our revenue streams were shut off. You know, whether you talk about TV, 
ticket sales, scholarship seating donations, et cetera, all that stuff was cut off. And so we've had to work really hard to manage our budget. And again, I'm just so thankful for our staff and how they've operated. And, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the pandemic, we thought we might be around $75 million upside down. Right now we're looking at that $45 million range and we're not alone. All of our peers are facing similar deficits and we just got to be creative and work hard to work our way through this deficit and move forward. And part of that certainly continues to get support from, from fans. And let's talk about scholarships. And that's what this week is focused on is scholarships. Uh, obviously, you have how many scholarship student athletes here and uh, what does that all encompass when you talk about uh, a whole package of a scholarship? Well, obviously, scholarships are the backbone of our program, you know, and, and we our goal is to provide a first class experience for all of our student athletes and we provide 324 scholarships. We have about 650 student athletes and out-of-state scholarship costs just shy of $81,000. So it's a big number. I think our scholarship bill this year is about $13.7 million. So when people invest in our program, they invest in our student athletes and, and we take great pride. You know, academically, we're the highest rated public school in the country. And it's not just like a, a budget gimmick. You as an athletic department is writing a check out of the department with this real money, which gets sent across campus and they use that money as part of it. It's not just a I think a lot of people are under the impression, well, it's just free money here. It's it's not. This is real money for the athletic department. Yeah, when I talk about the almost $81,000 for out-state <laughs> scholarships, we pay that. And right. we pay that for our in-state kids. And that money, as I said, it's $13.7 million that goes back to campus that we have to cover. And again, that's why you know we're so blessed with great donors here who help us do those special things so we can fund those scholarships and fund all those student-athletes. So why is it important you think about scholarships, uh, 324 scholarships? What does a student-athlete get, I guess, when a donor writes a check to help? Well, well, obviously, you know, you talk about the room and board and, and those type of things, but, but at Minnesota, you know, we talk all the time, Mike, when we bring a, a young man or a young woman to our campus, we talk about, you know, we're going to have you for four or five years, but our goal is to prepare you for the next 40 years. And our goal is hopefully to keep you in Minnesota. We have such a vibrant state, a vibrant community. We want to keep people here, but that scholarship covers everything from academic advising, athletic medicine, sports nutrition, uh, mental health resources. So it covers the gamut for our student athletes. And again, we take great pride being one of the highest rated public schools in the country with respect to our student athlete academic success. Our graduation success rate is at 94%, which is a program record. So again, we're doing great, great things with those scholarship dollars that help support our student athletes in so many ways. One of the neat things I see too is oftentimes we there's occasionally been the scholarship dinners or there's been donors at events and they get to see the student athletes firsthand. Some write a check that they get their name put on it and then the athlete gets that. And then what a reward for those donors to see how the scholarship gets used and oh that's my athlete there and so there's some uh, cool things on the flip side of that for the for the person writing the check too oh without question you know and, and it's one of my favorite moments when you have student athletes actually meet the donors who are funding their scholarships and and to see the gratitude they have on their face and to see the sense of fulfillment that donors have to provide yeah. that opportunity for our student athletes it's awesome and again we're very fortunate with the great support received from so many people again it's a gophersports.com slash week of giving as we wrap up our talk here with athletic Director Mark Coyle. We're getting, it seems like, on firmer footing uh, with the pandemic, hopefully starting to get into the rearview mirror. What can we look forward to this fall? Yeah, there's no doubt we're making progress. And again, you know, the thing I'm looking forward to when I talk to our student athletes, 
we can't wait to have people back in our buildings. I mean, we miss people. We miss the excitement, the energy. Um, you were at football games, basketball games this year, hockey games this year. It's just a strange feeling with nobody in the building. And I can't tell you how excited we are to welcome people back to campus. Of course, we're going to follow the Minnesota Department of Health guidelines. We'll work closely with campus. And President Gable's been such a strong advocate to help us to get back to hopefully our new normal where fans can be a part of our experience. And again, I know our student athletes look forward to representing not only this institution and this community, but all of our fans and all of our donors to support our great program. And it looks like some of those fall sports teams could be pretty darn good too. Fingers crossed. That's MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm talking with U of M Athletic Director Mark Coyle. That's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you for listening and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station. Thank you.